Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Look, I'm going to level with you. I have my own things to deal with. After all, we are about to have a lovely landing. The Orphans, an original cinematic audio drama, is now available. And now, The Orphans Facility, an exciting new prequel series. Catch up with season one with new episodes of Facility coming bi-weekly. Lightning Dogs, the official podcast presented by the Nerdist Show Network. Geeky programming for all nerds across the multiverse. All Nerdist Show programming is made possible by a comic shop, Orlando's number one comic shop and nerd destination. And with the generous support of listeners like you. To learn how you can support this and other fine geek programming, visit NerdistShow.com. Lightning Dogs is conceived as an all-ages property. But these behind-the-scenes conversations are not all ages. So listen at your own discretion, baby. Woo! Sometimes a great idea is truly like a bolt of lightning. And sometimes, if you're lucky enough, you can capture the exact moment that it strikes. That's what happened for us one fateful night while recording an episode of Nerdy Show. We accidentally launched a concept that derailed the entire show and in no time, our lives. We couldn't stop talking about our favorite action figures and B-movies while twisting them into strange creatures, weird adventures, and dog puns. Lots of dog puns. This is a story of lightning dogs, a journey steeped in the glory of 80s and 90s animation and sci-fi where anthropomorphic dogs tear through the wasteland of a ruined earth, battling mutants, miscreants, and the evil glampire. Coming soon to small screens, comic books, and podcasts. Or at least that's the goal. And how do you go from a crazy idea into a fully formed world of conflict and characters? How does a harebrained discussion become an animated series? That's what we're finding out firsthand. We've recorded the entire development of Lightning Dogs since day one. From the moment of conception to every world-building session and planning meeting, and the journey is still ongoing. Tune in as we create the world of Lightning Dogs, live! Welcome to another episode of Lightning Dogs. I'm Cap. Long one. (laughs) Hey, I'm Doug, and I'm Tony the Prospector. Apparently, we're yodeling up in the mountains. Hey, man, that was a proper dog howl, man. I don't, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it was a little warbly. Maybe it was a little long. But you know, sometimes you gotta, you gotta just gotta get it out. Okay, so in this Lightning Dog session, we're trying out something new. A visual component. No, not just the usual images you can check out in our online galleries, though there will be some of that too. In this episode, we've got video. It's a draw stream, baby! I've booted up the art streaming platform Picardo, and Doug and Cap are watching me draw while we kick around our usual unhinged ideas. This way, the Lightning Dog's brain trust can operate at peak efficiency. 
with Doug and Cap's critiques allowing me to course-correct my character designs on the fly. We'll have it linked on this episode's page and post it up on Nerdy Show's YouTube channel. The video is raw and uncut, so you can both marvel at my artistic process and thrill at our contemplative silences. Meanwhile, this episode is edited down to just the bits that translate into what some folks call good radio, with narration from yours truly filling in on the new details and developments. In fact, there's actually some extra content in this audio version as we take you deeper behind the scenes than you've ever gone before, but I'm getting ahead of myself. In this episode, we're taking on Queen Lich. A refresher course might be needed. She's a human who is no longer human. She's, she was human, yeah. and she turned into a lich. She lichified herself using technology instead of magic. And she was a geneticist. We've had a couple different origins batted back and forth, but generally the consensus is she was a geneticist. She became her own biggest experiment, and at a certain point is sort of interested in being able to recreate humanity and own her own humanity again, which unfortunately she cannot realize is actually impossible, even if she got it genetically correct. She herself is something far less than human. She's too broken. She's too crazy. That all sounds like Queen Lich, all right. Another aspect of her is that we sort of added to her and also her minions a kind of action figure quality of what is likely interlocking body parts using magnets, which is a really cool action figure technique that I've never seen used in mainstream action figures, but is used a lot in the indie DIY action figure statuette kind of scene that's going on these days. Yeah, and the, the idea came from, you know, if she's trying to experiment and create the perfect body, and it was just something that I was, as I was kicking around designs, came up with something where what if she was able to socket in and out different parts? So she just have sockets all around her head. And I think that was that a design we were all kind of happy with, that, that kind of idea? I wasn't in love with the head sockets, but the swappable heads and stuff, I feel like, you know, we want to make sure that Queen Lich has something of a consistent identity. Are you guys familiar with the Men in Black animated series? Yeah. You remember Alpha? Uh, you're going to have to refresh me on who Alpha was. I, Al I mean, was... Alpha was an early director of the MIB who uh, started grafting alien parts onto himself. And every time you saw him in the series, every single time, and he was a major adversary, he'd always have something else going on as humanity was deteriorating over the course of the series. I don't remember. It was a long time ago, but that sounds great. It sounds like what we're going for. Yeah. Now, Queen Lich, she's already had a long time to do this. I want to make sure that there's some visual aspect that you always know it's her. Like Alpha, his head was always Alpha's head. Maybe that's a little silly, but hey, we're, we are a cartoon after all. Something we should also mention is that there was a back and forth, and I don't recall that we ever really definitively said one way or the other, but there was a back and forth about is Queen Lich's scientific mutation of herself something that is largely genetic or is it largely technologic? There was a talk of uh, nanomachines at one point, which I definitely wanted to gravitate away from because everything that nanomachines in their fullest extent are capable of, it's too big. It's too much. And maybe someday within our lifespans, we'll see uh, <laughs> evidence of like nanomachines can literally change everything. They can reconfigure everything on a molecular level. There's no limits whatsoever. But that's just not interesting for story. That's like that's too impossible. The powers are too great. The only reason I even suggested nanomachines to begin with was that that's something that's so powerful it seemed like magic at first, which would fit in with the lich-like motif. They had a character called uh, Nano in the 2003 Ninja Turtles series, and the only way they were able to get away with doing that, because it was a total, like, Grey Goose scenario thing, was that it had the collective consciousness of a child and was gravitating towards creating avatars for itself. Basically, if there's a woman running it, there's a woman commanding nanomachines, she's too powerful. 
Now, I like what you're doing right now, Tony. I like the deep eye wells and the, the, the actual like sockets on the top of her head, like a like a Barbie doll. I don't I don't know. Well, the way I'd picture it, let's say she wanted to add like some horns or some sort of antenna, something like that. And if not, then she would just like socket hair on top of it. But the face would always stay the same. The face that Tony's got right now, I dare say, is the oldest face that we've seen yet. I mean, it's just got some lines, but I'm, I'm picking up hints of Maleficent as well as Norma Desmond from Sunset Boulevard, which I, now that I think of it, Norma Desmond from Sunset Boulevard is an amazing way to take this character. This is right off the bat the strongest representation of Queen Lich I've ever seen you do, Tony. Where, where's this coming from right now? I'm just a badass, Cap. Uh, oh. This is what I've been picturing her in my head as. Well, this is very different from the previous ones. I like, I like that she looks older. I think that there's like a, like her being an attractive older woman and having that vibe and having like, I guess a certain, you can, you can tell that maybe like holding on to her youth was something that she was trying to do with some of her experiments and it only goes so far and she has to then take extreme measures to try to keep fresh, basically. And there's definitely a lot of Mombi from uh, Return to Oz in this with the Hall of Heads and all that. Like that's a, that's True. a definite aspect. Have both of you seen Sunset Boulevard? No. I have not, no. Okay, we may have to watch that one because everything you're saying about her holding on to youth and interchanging these parts, granted, in Sunset Boulevard, she doesn't literally change parts, but it's worth seeing. I think that might be one we have to put on our list of films, especially when we get into specifics about certain villains, like certain movies represent certain villains. Then from where we're going right now, I would definitely recommend Sunset Boulevard for Queen Lich. The sketch that is currently on screen is just the, the very rough torso that I'm putting together right now. And this is kind of the nude version of her torso. She would wear clothes according to what she's dressed as, as things go along, because modesty and things. But she would have this kind of hideous thing going on underneath so that we could still keep it a kid's show, you know, appeal to the chitlins and not just also torture our animators with hideous, grotesque things that they would need to draw in every frame. This would be that heart cavity. I feel like she needs to be a combination of beauty and horror as often as possible. A lot of inhumanoids qualities, a little bit of mutagen man from Ninja Turtles, particularly the action figure, not the other representations really, though some of them have been kind of faithful to the action figure. That's the fellow that's a, <laughs> uh, a hollow cavity with meaty arms and legs attached, and he's got like a central nervous system kind of dangling in it, and you would put either colored water or the, the mutagen they sold in cans into the, into the cavity. He also came with a collection of weird little things. I don't think I have any of them anymore, but things like a, like a fish skeleton and other weird garbage stuff you could kind of shove into the hole and have it float around in there. But that's not important for her. The sockets, finding a look for them that's both mechanical and has, organic. Yeah, and has an organic nature to it. Something that, where it, like, for example, those, those holes in there, I want to believe that they're not just robotic socket holes, but that there would be like nerve endings and bones and stuff that would extend into those. One thing I'm, I'm picking up now that I'm remembering, uh, with, especially with this hole in her chest, if we make this kind of like a red glowing orb thing, so we don't have to necessarily see the heart, but yet we're in, strongly inferring it, kind of like E.T., or do you remember the original bride that was in the attic of the Haunted Mansion? Now they have awesome technology where they make her talk and she's just like, till death do us part and then you know it's a full facial animation projection and then like her hands get filled with like the wood axe and stuff like that but the, what it used to be was just this dark faced person where you don't get a lot of detail 
and it's just like this glowing wedding gown and it was just a glowing heart beating and it was just the sound of a heart beating in the attic and it was very unsettling and very creepy because it wasn't talking to you it had like glowing eyes and a glowing heart and like that's it it was almost wraith-like now i'm not suggesting we go wraith-like for queen lich but definitely like a glowing red heart thing definitely conjures up some creepy uh memories especially as a kid because it's not really graphic or horrific but yet it, it oh no the trope of a visible heart thing is used a lot and i feel like maybe we can come up with something else I'm not really suggesting that the heart itself is visible so much as there's a pulsing red thing that symbolizes that there is a part of her inside that's still human, like something that's inside that is still organic. And I also, it is a, a well-used trope. It's well-tread territory, but at the same time, that doesn't mean we shouldn't. I mean, it's, I think it fits her character. I think it fits everything we have described for her. And I don't think we should necessarily search for something else just for the sake of being different. The idea that there is this part of her that is vulnerable yet so integral to her core that she that's the one part of her she won't remove or can't remove I, so and i think that's a great idea it. especially if we hint at a possible maybe maybe not will they won't they frenemy romance infatuation with glampire she has a relationship with technology she could definitely be a linchpin in trying to control these robots that uh that glampire has no control over if he can get queen lich on his side he won't have to worry about these robots ever again so his motives aren't even of the heart wink wink nudge nudge it could be <laughs> politically motivated but for her i don't know there's many potential paths to take with her and i'm just trying to narrow down what we think is some of the strongest options sure and visually i was not saying that the trope itself was bad but that the aspect of it being like a glowing heart thing, like in what in a video game you might perceive as an easy weakness, like the heart on Tyrant in uh, Resident Evil, for example. The exposed heart has been done. We could do it with something else. For example, if we saw a glowing nervous system on her, like if that was the tell that it was her, when things get flared up, all of a sudden all of these veins are glowing green, whether they're actual biological veins connected to more linear circuit-like pathways in a cybernetic implant and all that, like that it would be a consistent thing if she has some kind of device that has its own unique color scheme in her abdomen that expresses something maybe a little bit more unsettling than a heart even, because that's an idea people have gotten comfortable with, so something else. Even when I'm talking about her heart glowing, I'm picturing more of just like, I don't want to say Tony Stark suit of iron, but just like a light, like, like basically an LED that is pulsing constantly and you could have that tie into expanding out into a nervous system when it's time for her to get strong or time for her to attach something she attaches an arm here and then the light goes down little veiny uh circuit board veins sort of thing but the idea just being a central red glowing centerpiece and that could even be like how, like how batman wears that as a distraction you know like it, that may not even be her most vulnerable spot like a big red glowing thing in the center that's super protected and durable it's like throw anything you want at it's not going to do anything which also kind of has a mr freeze vibe to it i'm guessing yeah a little bit tony's uh just drawn a well he's working on a profile of queen lich and in this case she's got some like really intense elf ear going on like i said she, she's all about augmenting herself so the idea was that anything that she could steal the senses from another creature she leaves that part with the availability to be socketed and then demonstrating as well the, the kind of socket on hair piece. I guess she probably shouldn't have a conventional human skin tone anymore. 
I picture like cold, gray, pallid. Like Mr. Freeze. Yeah. There's a lot of Mr. Freeze influence here. Either gray, blue, or outright white with tinges of like tan and blue. Like, do you want her pale like uh, the Queen from Snow White kind of thing? Or no. Or do we want her like a corpse? I'm picturing like a corpse. I was just about to say that, like, because I always picture her more gray, like a corpse that's still barely alive. I mean, without the gross stuff, like her skin tone is definitely gray. Have you guys ever heard of the animated film Rock and Rule? Never heard. I'm not saying I have, no. It's been a long time, a long enough time that I've forgotten the hows and whys and who exactly is responsible for it. But it's definitely a super cool cyberpunkish animation. Like, it's very, very neat. And in it, Lou Reed plays a character called Mock. Let me forward on to you the face of that character because this actually could be a great little piece of influence for Queen Lich. Yeah, this one, he looks sufficiently creepy. Well, he, whoa. Got a little bit of a Jafar thing going on there. That's like Jafar mixed with Ursula. It, it looks like it was both Lou Reed and Iggy Pop doing his singing voice. Anyway, interesting film that I need to watch again because I am shocked by how much I'm unable to remember right now. That is bizarre for you, Cap. Yeah, this is exactly the kind of stuff that I inexplicably do remember, so I'm very, very surprised that I'm drawing a blank. But hey. uh, Someone's replaced Cap. Here's the Wikipedia summary. The story takes place in a post-apocalyptic United States populated by mutant humanoids, and there's like a rock and roll music conflict. So when it comes to Queen Lich's motivations in the world at large, I feel like the best way for her to function in the wasteland is as as much an independent force as possible. She's a resource that Glampire will tap. They have something going on. It's weird. The more we develop it, the more I feel like any potential romance or affection between them would be Glampire kind of manipulating a sick woman. Yeah, I always kind of felt the same way about that. It's not as though we've got something like that set up for Glampire anyway, to be a manipulator or anything like and, that. You know, he is the bad guy, so it makes sense. Yeah. And the way that we had originally pitched her was kind of this idea that she was at one time involved with him, not necessarily still, but like she was chasing after trying to be like him. And then it was her regressing, trying to regain her humanity after. That's a very good point, because she would clearly be from like the last generation of humans prior to catastrophe she saw the apocalypse happen and if she was an associate of him or a close associate or someone who accidentally got too close who could know about his alien physiology who could be trying to replicate it or could even be working on a project for him and went off her own deep end because of that it's just one more horrible atrocity that glampire has somewhat inadvertently committed somewhat inadvertently fucking prick these are people's lives glampire (laughs) Well, it would make sense, especially if like, I mean, because again, there's so much about the Glampire backstory that we haven't ironed out yet. But if she's the head scientist or whatever company he was running and she makes the discovery that he's not human, but maybe decides not to tell anyone because she's obviously curious. And it's like an exciting, erotic thing for her. It's like Man Who Fell to Earth. If that sequence where David Bowie reveals himself as an alien wasn't so much him revealing, but her discovering. And instead of her being horrified, she's like, oh, oh, oh. Well, especially yes. if, if, if her whole thing was about trying to push humanity forward, like the next big evolution, like if that was her obsession before anyway, like trying to achieve 
a physical perfection. Mm-hmm. She imagined a, a future where, you know, humans would alter their genes on the fly and, you know, you could heal rapidly and, you know, do all the, everyone was a superhuman and it's like this crazy utopia from her point of view. But of course, Glampire being from where he's from is like, uh, it's not all it's cracked up to be. <laughs> it's, it's not, it's not easy being perfect. And now it's a situation where the genes of the earth are incredibly fluid. They can transmute into just about anything but they're almost completely uncontrollable. And that's where her work comes in, is she's trying desperately to control it and bring some order to the genetic chaos that Earth represents now. Which is also why the lightning dogs might be fascinating to her, because they have, to an extent, untainted genes. Like, they have been very much influenced by crystal growth, but it was all from natural crystals, so it was all an even evolution it wasn't anything rapid it was over time yeah it was still natural selection technically and now what i'm working on now i'm toying around with the idea of a socket it's got some kind of metal casing that goes around it that would bind with the flesh and then inside we'd have these three almost like pinholes that are surrounded by muscle and depending on what she's putting in it would join in with these various things that way we get a little bit of that biological twinch to it but it's also got that peg in there so that as you're looking at it as an action figure we can have this be a sticker and this be the actual peg gotcha look at me thank you do you remember the um one of the animated short clone wars tartakovsky ones where obi-wan had to fight this weird alien who could adapt on the fly like it was a there was like a speeder bike jousting yeah was the end of the first quote-unquote season yeah and he kind of was sort of like a precursor to general grievous in a weird way but I remember he had this like biological, I don't think he even had a name, I don't remember, but it's like he was just this weird biological morphine hulk of muscle that could grow and shrink and do all this stuff. Let's be but, fair, Doug, it was, it's Star Wars, he's got a name. Yeah, I just don't remember. Well, but, and, um, and he may have been out of continuity long before, you know, the continuity reset. Dirge, Dirge was his name. Ah, okay, cool. Something that could be interesting visually with her is having some kind of gel fluid that would aid in the bonding process for especially for quick and dirty splicing like it's kind of like an anti-rejection drug that almost acts as more of a biological spackle just kind of glue creatures together i like that idea cap so on the inside we're going to add these little like nozzles that spurt that in that type of thing that you only need to see once and then you know what happens every time because we'll have like some kind of foley sound effect thing some cool now that we're talking about this glowing thing, what if it's like a f- sort of a phosphorescent green or a phosphorescent yellow to make it more chemically inclined as opposed to like a red beating heart? Like it can be, you know, a yellow beating heart or a green beating orb or whatever you want to call it. And that, that can tie that could be like a, a color theme going on. Because especially if we're gotten a gray skinned, deathly kind of thing, green or yellow would seem to fit that pretty well. Yeah, very much. And it also is a device that could be used plot wise for power or weakness. If she has enough of it, she can be extremely, extremely dangerous in a given scenario. If she has too much of it, she could just turn into a big fucking tumor exploding all over people. If she has too little of it, she's up shit creek if she runs out and she needs to make modifications. Either way, she's got a genocidal limb because if she's got too much, then it would be rejecting the augmented parts. So any kind of non-humanoid limb, which she doesn't have anything that's pure human anymore, would have to be rejected, bringing her back down to this nice defenseless torso side. And I think it, it should be probably pretty important that what little success she had from studying Glampire 
is one of the many factors that has kept her alive in in this very painful immortality. I'm just realizing now that you gave her a giant lobster claw. Yeah, he never zoomed out enough that I I could see that. Yeah. <laughs> you just weren't paying attention when I was fucking drawing it. She's got some strong legs. I don't know how she's going to wave that around. It seems like more of a thing you kind of drag on the floor. It also looks pretty phallic. I'm just going to put that out there, which isn't a bad thing, but maybe if it could be like dribbling some juice there, that would be a good... Yeah, there No, no, it would not. <laughs> Make yeah. it green, please. Yeah, okay. Let's talk plot stuff. What's the ideal circumstance under which the lightning dogs first meet Queen Lich? Accidental. That's what I was feeling as well. Like, I feel like, uh, you know, Glampire calling her in as he has done with so many other things would sort of cheapen that. Yeah, I think the way to go would be an accidental thing. They don't even know there's a backstory there. This is another random, crazy thing they stumble across on the wasteland, much like that goblin who's hoarding all the weeaboo stuff. <laughs> they, just, they might even think that she's like low level until she's like, yes, well, just if you can help me move this thing in the back room and then like a sliding door opens and it's just like a underground freaking fortress. Of, it's like the fortress of solitude, but with frozen body parts, you know, like everywhere it's like, Oh, we stepped into the wrong place. Goodbye. <laughs> and then they realize they've just stumbled across like a big bad without even knowing it. Yeah. yeah. I always pictured her kind of body part thing to also be like this woman going into a closet with all these outfits and shoes and she's got to pick. And I just kind of picture her body parts being like that. Like, who am I today? I've seen it a few times before, but I, I do never grow tired of essentially the um, the dry cleaners of body parts, of automated rack that scrolls a huge like library of weird things. What are you drawing right now, Tony? It's some kind of weird head with a stitched up eye hole and... Her head of operations. This would be one of the early experiments that was just broken enough. It didn't go mad. It didn't go crazy. It might have started that way. It might not have enough intelligence to actually do anything. He's, he's the doorman. So I guess a new influence here, I'm picking up a vibe of uh, The Thing, Mr. Freeze, and Brainiac. <laughs> Where are you getting Brainiac? Brainiac in general, in terms of augmenting himself and never being able to fully capture him, he's always sort of squeaking away. And every time you see him, he's a little bit different. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Okay. Yeah, I can, I can see that. I like the idea of the head of operations. I think it's a good pun, which I know you won't hear me say too often. Um <laughs> I think there might be more we can do with them. Like we can make it a more interesting character than weird squonky snarf of body parts. But what if he was actually kind of horrific? Like that floating head thing from big trouble in little China. 
if we're doing a kind of mindless thing, that would be a good way to go. Something that is like an actual otherworldly horror. Because right now he looks like something out of DBZ. But if it's something it's that's the eyes like, that make it particularly yeah. DBZ. But if it's something that's like complete otherworld horror where you don't even really know, like when the lightning dogs see it, if this is the first thing they see that's sort of like floating around on robot spider legs, it's like, what the hell? Like, I mean, completely. And then she's like, don't mind him. That's just my pet. He's my head of operations. And they're like, is she trying to be funny? <laughs> like, you know, like that kind of like when they're scared, don't really know what to make of her just yet. I mean, if we have a character called head of operations, maybe she actually does have something that's holding on to a certain amount of sentience. Maybe there's like, you know, there's just the one thing that is actually a minion. Because otherwise the pun doesn't work, right? Like he, if it's just a monster. Yeah, it's, it's got to be it's got to be a head. Well, if it looks like a beholder from D&D, it's still a head. But even still, it's the operations part that I'm concerned with because I believe that she could have something that's sentient. I believe she could have something where that pun is truthful in every sense that it is just a head more or less. And it does actually assist her doing shit. I was kind of thinking something like with no personality, like the brain is the ultimate computer. So she took whatever personality this thing had and is just using it as like a pure computer thing. Something that would really give off the creepy vibe. Whereas like if it has a personality, you're like, is it weird to say that it doesn't sound as evil? That she lets it have a personality and it, and it kind of cracks a joke or something that that's, that's, that kind of makes her yes. relatable? It, you're right. It, it isn't as evil. And I don't think she needs to be blatantly evil either because i mean like we had originally discussed for it she's kind of on a, a path of misguided redemption yeah well evil wasn't i guess is not the right word i'm thinking more of just like completely alien to them like otherworldly especially in this world where they're trying to figure out who were the masters what were they really like they meet glampire first he looks kind of like a master but he's totally not but then you know later down the line they meet queen lich and they're like oh you actually were there at the time of the masters but she is to not one of them you know so like everywhere they're going they're just not they're not getting the real deal and that's ultimately the sad thing about it is that they're never going to get to meet a master and when they do it's a bad master you know also tony if those are tank treads you can stop right now <laughs> i don't i don't want that it's too silly don't tread no no <laughs> May he's gonna wear it as a as a bumper sticker. What you were saying, Doug, about using a brain as a computer—it's an interesting thought. Of what if there was a creature that kind of had, let's say, a mentally incompetent personification? It was it was alive, but it projects stupid. But the processing power of it is something that's used. Does that make sense? I'm not even sure if that's possible on a genetic level. We could use that stupid pseudoscience that the human beings only use ten percent of their brain and reduced the computing power of this creature down to 10%, what that would actually be, what that would actually look like, and retasked the other 90% to whatever else. To running her compound, I guess, the automation of it. Well, I was thinking, like, is it more cruel to, you know, have it have a personality, or is it more cruel to take it away? It might be more cruel to only give it 10% of its original personality, you know, just so that it's aware enough. So it's sitting there going like, me like cooking, when it used to be a baker. <laughs> Wasn't quite going to go that far as to having to say me like, or have, speaking in broken English so much as it can just give odd looks and speak in a monotone voice. Why did, you, why did you post that? That is awful, Cap. I, I've just included a picture of the computers from your pretty faces going to hell. These hypothetically were people, but they were turned into PC towers made out of flesh and junk. And it's awful. That looks it looks terrible and horrifying. That's a I mean, it's an amazing show. And these are cool, weird little puppets. Imagine, if you will, she had a brilliant 
cohort in whatever industry she was in. And let's say they thought she'd gone too far. She had to defend herself. She cracked her skull with a wrench. And uh, then is, you know, apologizing while uh, harvesting. They're like, you have a beautiful brain. I can't let it go to waste. That would be too awful. And then, you know, hundreds of years later, it's basically a glorified processor that she carries around with her to do the computing for her experiments. Yeah, like, like an early peopleoid head. I am entirely down with that idea. And it's literally her clinging to the last vestiges of her humanity while simultaneously being the moment that broke her. Now, we've said that uh, there's like almost nothing left of her as human, but I think we should decide, is there any part of her that is human? For example, does she still have 100% of her human heart or does she still have 100% of her human brain, but it has the additional stuff added into it to like make her think faster? Or does she not have all of her brain or all of her heart? I would say all of her heart, most of her brain, just where I'm leaning. It's that part where you replace everything but that one last bit. And the brain can kind of lead it to her being unhinged. I think it is it is important that, you know, she's likely augmented her brain in hopes that it would work better, but she'd still have, you know, a fair portion of it that's untouched directly. Because I was thinking if she has 100% of her human brain, but she's clearly added more to it, like a jump drive where you could plug something in and, you know, like sure. add more information to your brain matrix, sort of matrix style. Whereas if she has 100% of her original human brain and 100% of her original human heart, there can be there's something to be said there where it's like, these are the only two pieces of her that are human, and she's constantly going back and forth. Uh, now I'm, th I'm throwing another Batman villain, more Two-Face, you know, like two minds of the same problem. You know, like there's always going to be one side that says this, one side that says this, but the cold calculating brain is going to say, no, we're going to do that. And the heart is getting overruled constantly because it's the part that's not augmented. It might be a great storyline if she had backups of her brain and at one point an earlier backup overrides the rest of it like after she's an established character and oh yeah like like it's like she like if she backed up her her memories on like a hard drive and then she re-up somehow she re-uploaded them and then she's horrified at what she's become and is like how could i ever let myself go like this like how could i ever do this to myself and of course the, yeah, the current queen lich is trying to fight it back and is like oh we must we'd have to contrive a situation whereby she would need to have done that to get maybe some information that she lost or something. I don't know. We'll come up with that. She's a scientist. You always make backups of your research. Well, we're not arguing that, but I mean, like, that there's a reason to activate the backup, that it needs to be a direct plug-in of the backup, and that it's supposed to scan that, get what she needs, and move on, but something goes wrong, and so there's an inevitability that that personality will be consumed by the right and proper Queen Lich, but in the meantime, she and the lightning dogs have to struggle with the fact that there's someone who's actively different from who they know and is horrified with what she's done and could be an ally. Like, you know, some of them may actually have hope that they could save her, but that's really misplaced because it's ultimately the whole point of it would be an exercise in the futility of it. What use would she have for actually having a human heart controlling her circulatory system? None. But well, she, but hold on. Hold the hold your damn horses. <laughs> but yeah. she, but she does still have it. It's just this weird little sentimental thing of like maybe it's never even directly referenced or not for a long time, but there's always a human heart in a tank nearby that she's just held on to as a weird sentimental thing. She cut it out, she kept it there, she never needs it because I mean if you've got gorilla arms, you need a better circulatory system. That's just a fucking fact. That is that definitely true. 
really the only practical thing for her to hold on to is her brain. Everything else is completely rife for changing. So I'm kind of digging the idea that she still has her heart, but it is alive in a jar somewhere, you know, and by her removing it and keeping it separate, it is like a reminder, but yet it's not something that she feels like she needs. And then, of course, end of the show after 10 successful seasons of Lightning Dogs and we're getting to the final home stretch <laughs> story finale. Um, she is like maybe damaged beyond repair and the only hope she has is to put her old heart back in, but that's when she goes good. No matter when we did that storyline where she used an older version of herself, that could maybe even be the first time that we referenced like, yeah, like there it is. Like she's looking at her own heart in a window and she's like, this is, uh, you know, like this is me. This is the last bit of me. This is what, what is, you know, what is this? Granted, that person is likely still a murderer, still not 100% awesome. It's, I think it's interesting that if she has lived so long, she's keeping the heart, but her struggle at the end is that she doesn't, maybe she doesn't even like remember her human name. It's like, why is she even holding on to it? And she doesn't, and she can't even answer why, you know? Well, yeah, I kind of see it. The reason she kept the heart in the first place was Queen Lich's original idea wasn't to abandon humanity, but to create the idea, the perfect human. Exactly, exactly. And she then has to define what makes a human a human. Home is where the heart is. Ha! Have a don't plaque you, behind Don't you me. ever, no, absolutely. don't you ever, <laughs> ever say that for, for putting it into an episode. No, that is, that is happening. I don't care. I don't care. I will, I will fight you. The I, heart is in a jar. Beneath the jar is a plaque that says home is where the heart is. I would not even a plaque. I actually would be a fan of her saying these little jokes, but yet they're not really funny. They're just scary. And like, that's the, like, she's, she's cracking these jokes in a way to almost think that she's keeping her humanity where it's like, is that a, is that a heart in a jar? And then she's like, well, home is where the heart is, <laughs> as they say. You know, it's just like, Ugh, like, that's not, I'm just scared now. <laughs> I won't stop while my heart's still beating. Over there, down the hall. You know, with everything we've been talking about, and especially now with head of operations and stuff, I'm also getting, I'm, I, I know I keep referencing other things, but I feel like that's helping at least me when I say it out loud, it helps me pick a direction to go in, is that I'm getting a weird mixture now of, Beauty and the Beast, sort of so Belle and the Beast mixed together and then keeping like the heart in the jar is like the rose in the in the jar, like don't go into the West Wing sort of thing. And this head of operations is a lot like this castle of things that are alive, you know, like each one is its own like little thing. So it's like you stumble into this place and you, you find like this little head on a, on mechanical spider legs and like Lumiere, it's like, oh yes, please just come this way. And then you just lead you into a dark place where it's like, what are you doing here? This is my, you know, it's like, there's something oddly, I don't want to say vampire gothic, but something you know, bigger behind it. I, I really dig that idea of this Beauty and the Beast parallel. And I also, I kind of pictured him as being this thing that could sock it into creature bodies. Uh -huh. Where she would send right. him out like, less right. as just, you know, she's not just the head, not just something he's also that the muscle kept around. he's the muscle he's not the sidekick but the sidekick and second in command but it does make me feel that whereas i you know i've been trying to work with the head of operations as a disgusting meat prop that uh the action figure feature of having the henchman that is even more swappable than queen lich is in some ways if it is going to be a henchman i can see her having lots of grunts but if we want to have a special grunt then that special grunt needs to be somewhat disposable cannot be something as important as like the processor for all of her experiments and does need to have something of a personality. So if say, for example, it was 
built from the matter that used to be someone she worked with who was going to rat her out. You know, what if it was a colleague who was infatuated with her, who she never really respected and never gave the time of day, but kind of doted on her. And then like, is like, no, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to, to tell what you're doing. This is not okay. And she's like, oh, we can't have that. And, you know, crashed his fucking skull in. So then she, she's able to like basically lobotomize this person. And what you're left with is this hench person that fawns over her. Is like this really creepy you, you guys, butler. You don't even know how bad you need to see Sunset Boulevard. Yeah, I can't even t- no, can't even tell you. Like, it, like I kind of want to watch it now. Like, it's, turn the stream off. We're gonna we're gonna stream the movie instead because there's so much of this stuff that we've been talking about all throughout that is in that film. Sounds like Man Who Fell to Earth was the definitive style film oh, 100%. for 100%. Dude, I'm and telling this you. And is, this is Queen Litchie's. This is Queen yeah. Litchie's film. Man, Man Who Fell to Earth is to Glampire as Sunset Boulevard is to Queen Litch, for sure. Interesting. Interesting. So, based on that, thoughts on, on that direction for head of operations? To make it a guy, the unrequited love where, you know, maybe he kind of, if you were to ever get his actual opinion, it's like, how could you let her do this to you? He's like, well, at least now she speaks to me. You know, it's like, at least now I'm useful. I'm useful to her now. Like, it's creepy and sad and damn you, Glampire. <laughs> like, all it comes down to, like, one more life ruined. You ruined this woman's life. She didn't wasn't really all that normal to begin with, but this poor guy was just trying to be a good scientist. And, oh, the heartbreak and the, the DNA break, <laughs> everything that came with it. And I think like bringing up things like Beauty and the Beast, bringing up things like Mr. Freeze, I'm realizing that there's a duality nature to her. If you could describe each villain and what they represent with one thing, boil them down to the basics. I'm sensing now that Queen Lich is about the duality. Yeah, it's what she was versus what she's become. It's Beauty and the Beast. It's Jekyll and Hyde. It's Two-Face. It's the fight between the, the brain and the heart. Quite Struggle, literally. You know, yeah, yeah, quite. And yeah, literally. And, you know, what does it mean to be a human being? When she's you know trying to achieve perfection, but yet you lose your humanity when you're trying to achieve perfection, that unintentionally says a lot of really cool and interesting things. I felt that about her from when we were first talking about her. I have always gotten that feel from her. I really like I latched on that part of the character. And so. it might be because she's the first villain that is a human. I mean, Glampire, at the end of the day, he's not human and he is just evil. Queen Lich, much like people, is not really evil, but she's not good, and she's trying to figure out who she is and trying to build who she is, really. Like, I mean, that's kind of what people are doing. But I I think that's kind of why we all were kind of drawn to this character is that, one, it's a human being, and two, there's just all this potential when you have, like, limitless potential with what you can do with her. Yeah, the fact that she's the only human that the lightning dogs will ever come close to meeting for such a long time it makes it all the more appropriate that it's something like her. She's a worst-case scenario, but when you boil her down to her core, like, she is the actual, like, you know, failing of humanity, of, of going too far in one direction, of, of having that conflict. Face-to-face of, like, you know, man is not God, and when man tries to play God, terrible things happen. You know, I like everything that we got here, but I think the favorite thing that was drawn tonight, Tony, was, was just the head of the first, <laughs> the first figure that you drew. Because that's, I think that, I think that for me, at least Agreed. personally, that's what pushed everything into that direction. So uh, great yes. work all around. Well, thank you. I will retweak head of operations a little bit. I like that profile in terms of, I almost picture him like a spark plug with legs mm-hmm. so that he can just sock it in. Yeah. But I'll, I'll tweak the design of the face a little bit so that we can see 
because I picture him as an early an early experiment to what Queen Lich would become. And the fact that we've tied him into being this former colleague of hers with with unrequited affection toward the Queen, it complements everything that I was kind of picturing for him anyway. Well, imagine so imagine I'll, him looking like what Queen Lich should look like. She's put no cosmetic effort into this fellow whatsoever. Correct. Yeah, and I figured True, that's yeah. why that's why I had originally given him like the stitches and I'll, I'll make him look a little bit more patchwork. Thank I you. think less patchwork. I think more meat mess, more like those creatures from Big Trouble in Little China, more like the meat computers from Your Pretty Face is Going to Hell. When she reveals that this guy used to be human and he used to like her, the lightning dogs would just sort of shoot at a look and be like, that thing was human? Like what? Like the, the last thing you would expect to be human is you human. Know, I'll tweak it a little bit. The thing that I want to avoid is getting too far off of the style we've got working because a lot of this is very clean. It is something that lends itself well to animation and Meat Mask doesn't necessarily translate to the type of show point, yeah. that we've been pushing. So with that, I'll, I'll see if I can find a happy medium between the two. Okay, Jonah Hex from Batman the Animated Series. Done, easy enough. So like skin grafts. Okay. Yeah, less like a Dracula mummy head. <laughs> Less like Frankenstein, more Jonah Hex. Burn yeah. victim is what we're going for. Yes. Kind of. <laughs> Which, to be fair, he was. Because when he, he professed <laughs> infection, burn. he got burned. <laughs> As I said before, you can find all the graphical accompaniment, the video, the final image, linked in this episode's page, along with the links to all the media we referenced. But, though this is the last of the Queen Lich drawstream session, this isn't where the episode ends. Just a few days after the draw stream, on February 7th of 2016, we met up again for a Brass Tax Lightning Dogs business meeting, as in deadlines, planning, and in this case, a big shift in direction. We don't usually record managerial meetings, but this one seemed important enough that we turned the mics on. For those of you here for the struggle to bring Lightning Dogs to the screen, in addition to the world building, this one's for you. A record of a key shift in our plans for the series. To understand where we were at the time of this recording, you'll need to dig deep into your memory and recall what we thought our plan for the Lightning Dogs was going to be. We'd taken our world-building discussions behind closed doors, with our loose plan being to complete our story bible and then write, cast, and record a pilot for Lightning Dogs as an audio drama. All the behind-the-scenes discussions would be bonus perks for fans on a future crowdfunding platform. We wanted the first thing we put out as Lightning Dogs to be a finished product, not a work in progress but it had been nearly a year, and in that time, we'd gain new perspectives. We always forget that in this day and age, people do want to see how the sausage is made. Especially when there isn't any sausage to be had, and the process of making it is pretty much all that we can offer. Yeah, and we've drummed up such a fan base from doing the behind-the-scenes shows, we clearly should have never stopped releasing them. We clearly should have just made it another thing. I didn't see it. You guys didn't see it. We didn't see it. So now we do see it. Hopefully it's not too late to change the plan. All this time away is letting the Lightning Dogs brand, such as it is, which it's not much yet, grow cold. You know, we have some dedicated listeners that are interested. They're all enthusiastic. They're all supportive. But we didn't strike. You know, we should have struck, obviously. For Lightning Dogs, we should always strike first and twice. How noise. We can continue to not just stimulate our current fan base, but grow a sizable fan base. So when we hit, we'll really have a force to push with. We were hoping to be able to show everyone our proof of concept right at the bat. This is not some pipe dream. This is not bullshit. We want to put our best foot forward at all times. Idea being that we would want our front-facing thing to be Lightning Dogs, the radio show, and not Lightning Dogs, the behind-the-scenes stuff. 
and we could do that, but we'd just spend probably an, another year away, you know, mm-hmm. which would mean that it would be two years without any new lightning dogs content. And yeah, that's, and that's fucking bullshit. A major wake up call for us was that Cap and Doug listened to a podcast called startup the debut show from a podcast network called Gimlet media. The story of both the podcast and Gimlet is that an ex-public radio dude left his job to start a podcast network and kicked things off by making a podcast about making the podcast network. The first season documents his extremely risky career pivot, his attempts to get investors, and struggles with launching a business. We already had a show that people were interested in listening to, but we didn't see how it could coexist with where we were going. Yes, doing a podcast about creating an animated series, maybe a comic book, and an audio drama, and whatever else we end up doing is confusing. But it's better than the alternative of not putting out anything at all. And, as was the case with Startup, airing your struggle can be rewarding. Not only is Gimlet Media doing well for itself, but Zach Braff is turning their story into a sitcom on ABC. Weird. Startup was the perfect inspiration to show us that it was okay to get candid and vulnerable with our experience, and that all we needed was a slight format change to mold what we had into a show of its own. So Cap wrote a document called Lightning Dogs 2016 Game Plan and outlined the steps we'd need to take to launch Lightning Dogs as a standalone podcast within the year. Production art was already costing Nerdy Show money, and forging a path to whatever came next wouldn't be cheap, so Lightning Dogs needed its own revenue stream. We chose Patreon, which had already been doing well for Nerdy Show, since it offers people who believe in the project a way to help support it directly and get access to even deeper behind-the-scenes stuff than the show offers. To get a Patreon, we'd need a bank account. To get a bank account, we needed to become an LLC separate from Nerdy Show. All this, and we were still looking at a Lightning Dogs audio drama as the next big goal, before attempting to actually pitch to studios. No wonder we thought this seemed confusing. We were so confused ourselves. So here's the things that need to happen. Completion of the story bible. At least the main characters and an outline for the first story. What in cartoon logic would be the multi-part episode released as Lightning Dogs the movie, you know, if it was like Gargoyles or Ninja Turtles. A Patreon video. A simple one featuring art and voiceover, maybe video with us if we're so inclined. As we've seen time and time again, we always set our sights high for what we want to do and what we want to release, but the reality is people make shitty Patreon videos left and right. I don't know if that's to the benefit or detriment, but that's the, the status quo, so we don't have to burn ourselves out on it. It would be good to have theme music, so we need to have some conversations. Mm-hmm repackaging old episodes as a new show. Mostly that just requires new intros and outros, but the first episode will be important to modify into an ideal jumping on point. It'll probably be me doing a voiceover, weaving a narrative, setting the stage for what Lightning Dogs actually is, what we're shaping it up to be, and then unveiling it. And, you know, here's where it all started. This is the conversation. I can easily write, record, and produce that. The only thing it's going to cost me is time, and that's the most difficult thing for me. We need to work towards the prospect of building a lifestyle around making Lightning Dogs a reality because we've only done it to a very minimal extent. We've been doing it as well as everything else. And that's all great and all, but like Lightning Dogs is one of the few things that we're working on that has, I guess, a definable future. Lightning Dogs seems like it's something bigger than the rest of what we're doing, so it deserves more time, and we haven't given it that. And everything we're doing, it's working out great. It's working out great. It's just not happening fast enough, you know? It's just challenging. There's a lot of shit happening right now. And it's only going to get worse because we're not getting any younger. <laughs> no. Mm. So um, the last point here is what to call the behind the scenes show to differentiate it from the eventual audio drama release, which is difficult because the best name we have for the show right now is Lightning Dogs. People are going to call our show Lightning Dogs. They are. 
And if it's not called Lightning Dogs, we're fucking up because we want that brand recognition. We need it now. But we don't want to have someone go back and if they're listening to our eventual program or if they're somehow engaged in the actual narrative of Lightning Dogs to stumble into an earlier episode. We don't want to confuse people needlessly. We want it to be clear that there's, you know, these episodes of the radio drama and these episodes of the behind the scenes show. And it could just say Lightning Dogs behind the scenes. But then that would imply that people should know what Lightning Dogs is. It's a very weird, complicated issue that's probably going to take us longer than anything else to figure out. The best thing I have so far is Lightning Dogs colon Lightning Strikes. The only other one that I would say is like Lightning Dogs Rolling Thunder because it implies an in-progress thing and it's simultaneously something that follows lightning or announces that lightning has been around. I, either that or you could go what, the water bowl talk. I mean, just like instead of water cooler talk, but for anyone who doesn't know what lightning dogs is, then they'd be like, what the hell are they talking Like lightning dogs, water bowl? Like what the fuck? And, but at the same time, if you don't know what lightning dogs is, lightning dogs, lightning strikes, like what? Kind of freaky, right? You heard us create the lightning dogs premise and now you've also heard us creating the format of this very podcast. And yes... It was a long time before we came up with the official podcast. <laughs> Might there be another Lightning Dog series released in our podcast feed? Perhaps even someday an audio drama? There totally might be! But it's not something we're actively thinking about. At the very least, we've got a name that can coexist with something else. Though our end goal priorities might be different now, fortunately, from this point on, our short-term goals were still on the right track. Now we have to figure out how to make this happen. Things that need to happen, first and foremost, would be completion of the story Bible and getting that finished art of, I think, the six mains and Glampire. Well, and Beast Town. Yeah, yeah. I agree on all that, except before that, we need the finished logo and we need the finished title. I mean, we can do these simultaneously, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, at this point, it's really just a matter of nailing down the dog's designs. I'm, I'm fairly confident in all of the dogs themselves. We just haven't put a stamp in any of them and said, okay, this is it. And we can do a, a draw session, design them up. Because I've watched various character creation stuff on YouTube in the past, and it's always interesting to see this finished product come out of a carving, essentially. From nothing is born a piece of artwork. All of our final character designs that you've now seen for months were created in this drawstream format, and all of them, except one which we've lost, will be released for your viewing pleasure. In fact, to make up for this summertime lag in podcast publication, we released all of our drawstream videos early to Lightning Dogs Patreon backers at any level. So if you liked this Queen Lich session, we've got nine more where that came from waiting for you. Supporting us at patreon.com slash lightning dogs helps us pay for new concept art, create important promotional materials like flyers, and brings us closer to being able to afford for Greg Wiseman, creator of Gargoyles, co-creator of Young Justice, to review our pitch bible. We've got not only early release videos, but also exclusive audio, images, and our Patreon-exclusive podcast series, The Wasteland Drive-In, where we talk about films that inspire lightning dogs. Yes, including Sunset Boulevard. So far, you can hear us talk about The Hunger, Treasure Planet, and coming this month, The Man Who Fell to Earth. Plus, joining our Patreon at any level means that you're now a member of the pack, and we'll recognize you as such. Like our newest recruit, Kali Wolf. Oh! Welcome, friend. I like the cut of your jib. I didn't realize you were sailing, but I like it just the same. Now, I didn't make it out to Heroes Con, but we've got another convention appearance coming up, and Cap, Doug, and myself will all be there. August 4th through the 6th, in our hometown of Orlando, Florida, we will be at Megaplex, where we're going to have a table set up in Artist Alley and be selling sketchbooks and, uh... Oh yeah, more sketchbooks! If you haven't picked one up yet, Lightning Dogs Sketchbook 1 is a 36-page comic-sized collection of all of our favorite Lightning Dogs concept art from Cap, 
Max, Local Shop, and of course, yours truly. You should totally get one and have a piece of Lightning Dog's awesomeness to pour over on lonely wasteland nights or to share with your peopleoid pals. Physical versions are $5. The digital version is 3 and if you're giving on Patreon at $5 or more, the digital copy comes with the package. And before I forget, there's one more thing about Megaplex. On Saturday, August 5th at 4 p.m., we're putting on a panel called Don't Let Your Dreams Be Dreams, where we'll be extolling the virtues of taking dumb ideas and seeing them through. Something, at this point, you know all about. Oh, hey, speaking of ideas, that business meeting, that was a whole hour of serious talk. But we did have one moment of levity, thanks to yours truly. Just because there hasn't been a good opportunity until this point, if you guys will please turn your eyes to the Discord, an idea occurred to me as we were talking about things, and I came up with Hula Monster. I don't know where he's going to fit, but he's a Gila Monster dressed in a hula skirt with a coconut bra and a leg. I, I don't know where he needs to be, but I think he needs to be somewhere. Probably in a bar where all our other random ideas that don't quite fit go. <laughs> in, in the tavern where uh, Captain Scrap frequents. Or better yet, he is the best friend of the garbage gnome. My wife! I have a question, Tony. This hula monster is clearly emulating a female Polynesian dancer. Yep. What was the decision to make it definitively a male dressed as a female? That was the image that sprang to mind. There was no thought put into it than just, this is what makes me laugh. Well, you decided to assign male pronouns as soon as you started talking about them. I'm just curious. Like, you know, what, what's the rest of the story of Hula Monster? Like, what do I need to know? Well, drag escape. queen of the wasteland. Just drag queen of the wasteland. Hula Monster, queen of the desert. <laughs> Aloha. That means hello and goodbye. Now leave. Has a little heat rock with uh, one of those fake palm trees above it. <laughs> In a desert? Well... I mean, if, we're to, if it's by Captain Scrap, definitely needs a heat rock. But anyway, this character should never be more than a background character unless the fans decide otherwise. So <laughs> good job, Tony. I, I like him. I, I, I enjoy him being the queen of the desert. Doug, you, you can't say shit like that around me. Self-appointed. Self-appointed queen of the desert. So when the lightning dogs try and enter, there is Hula Monster. No, no, no. This is, this, is, this, is, this is a passing joke. This is a small joke. This is a background gag. Okay, this is not a background gag. This is a stroke of genius. And Hula Monster, Queen of the Desert, will have his day. You can see my Hula Monster doodle on this episode's page. But that's enough for now. If you haven't yet, please join us at patreon.com slash lightning dogs. Even a dollar a month, which equates to $12 a year, assures that this dream won't die. If you haven't had a chance yet, please consider rating and reviewing us on iTunes or Podchaser. iTunes is still the leader in podcast discovery, but we hope Podchaser will be the future. We've got beta keys so you can join us there. Just head to nerdyshow.com slash podchaser. And hey, we'll smell you next time. Oh. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.